0: Ralph Debugnara. So tough last name. Oh yeah, that was a tough one. We practiced uh, that a few times before uh, we started this. Super tough. Yeah, but uh, Ralph is in the mortgage industry. He's a real estate investor and he's got a thick East Coast accent.
1: No, super cool guy. Yeah, um, yeah he's actually a wholesale retail lender. Funded um, over
0: $28 billion. Yeah, loans. part
1: of it, Cardinal. Um, and then he's also, uh, we were talking about flipping, we are talking about vacation rentals. He also, he's basically like, I think for the company too, he's very focused on getting the branding, the marketing, the Facebook, the Instagram. Um, He also I think helps people build brands. He's actually just does a lot of different stuff. Yeah, he's got
0: the Disruptors Network, which is something if you're in the industry, you should definitely check out. Um, And it is just a community of other real estate people and there's a lot of coaching and helping through that network uh, as well.
1: So. Yeah. Super, like super positive guy, super awesome guy. I think he's a very giving guy, uh, has a good following on social media, but it was just a great conversation. Honestly, it was cool because we connected on, obviously we have the loan stuff in common. We're also doing the real estate stuff. We have the podcast stuff. There's a lot of common interests. So Honestly, this is a good one, Um, a lot of good nuggets. If you guys are looking to get into the vacation rental game like he has, we kind of talk about that, go through that, some strategies, how he's doing. Obviously, the returns on those, if you know what you're doing, are really good. And um, otherwise, without further ado, let's jump in with Ralph. And um, like I said, if you guys are not following him, follow. And also, before we jump into the conversation, if you like this, please like, comment, share, We'd appreciate it. Five-star reviews. We love them. Not for the it also fan.
0: helps us to get better podcast guests and all that. So please just take a few minutes.
1: Yeah, share this. Give us a
0: five-star review and write something sweet.
2: All right, guys. Let's jump
1: in with Ralph. Ralph, what's up? Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you coming on.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate you having me.
1: Cool. Can you just uh, give us a little bit about like your background and kind of how you got here today? On you know.
2: Um, so I'm from New York City my whole life. I'm an, e- I'm an, an East Coast person. Um, I got st- I know you guys are in mortgages. Uh, I got started in mortgages well in, in about 2001. When I graduated college, there wasn't, um, it was when the internet bubble popped. So I've been through two kind of um, recessions. That was the first and then 2008 was the second. But I, I got started in mortgage because there wasn't any other jobs. and I had a friend that was in it and he's like, hey, I can get you in. Um, I wasn't somebody who did really well in college. I just wasn't my thing. I I told somebody yesterday, I never even went and got my diploma. I didn't walk to graduation and get my diploma. As soon as I got out of my last class, that was the last time anybody ever saw me and I was kind of gone. So uh, getting into the workforce was something that wasn't the easiest for me up front, but there was sales job available and I got in sales and I rode mortgages from 2001 to 2008 until the market crashed. And then, you know, I kind of lost everything. Um, And my real estate portfolio took a huge hit too because my strategy at that point Um, definitely didn't work for what was going on after 2008. And I started over again, um, and kind of rebuilt it, uh, to where I am now. Um, and now I'm just all over real estate. Um, I'm still in mortgages. I run a pretty uh, large division that's Northeast based. Uh, I have a a real estate portfolio that's pretty much all Northeast, but up and down the Northeast coast. And then I have disruptors network, which is my podcast, my TV show and my community based business where we kind of try to educate people, um, on the stuff we we've done in the past the stuff we're doing presently and the stuff we're going to do in the future in the hopes to kind of build them up and build business with them so those that's kind of the uh, the, the 30 second version of me
1: awesome what so what are you um today right now um i know right before we we're talking we're we're 2021 past the the pandemic wasn't much of a recession though for some people it was hard but it was a quick bounce back thanks to the fed What are you focusing on today right now? And what's your kind of like outlook for the next year or so?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I really like the short-term rental market as far as real estate goes right now, like a lot of other people. Um, It was really, really good to me for the last 18 months, obviously. Um, So I'm continuing to buy in that model and more because um, I see it growing. You know, I see that it's not just Airbnb and VRBO now. It's Expedia.com and Booking.com and Travelocity. They all do short-term rentals now at this point. There's furnace finders, there's um, a million different avenues to kind of go with the short-term rental. And especially the way some of the rental laws are where I am, and mostly in New York and New Jersey, are very, very tough, especially when people weren't paying their rent. So um, it was a, a strategy I ran towards a little bit, and I'm continuing to grow it that way. And, you know, I do some large-scale commercial stuff, and, and I like the commercial market right now also. Uh, but the short-term rental, I would say, is what I've been, been intently focused on as far as real estate goes right now.
0: Yeah, we have vacation rentals here in um, La Jolla as well, and we're getting better rates than ever, and we're fully booked. So it's yeah. definitely a good time.
1: I think, too, like – go ahead. I was going to say, I think, too, a lot of people just like, you know, people that when the pandemic hit, people that never used Amazon to get their groceries are like, why would I go back to the grocery store? People that are like, well, you can't go to hotel because there's this, I don't want to go – Maybe it's their first time trying a vacation on like bank. Ah. All of a sudden they're like, wow, I really like this. You know, this is, I could bring my family cheaper. So people experiencing new things that we already knew about. That's why when I travel, I do the VRBO. You know, I like it. We do hotels, but it's just easier. But I think people get a taste of that. And they're like, why would I go back to the hotel? That I get so much more bang for my buck.
2: Now, I agree with you. I think that what what the pandemic really did was just speed up the process, right? Like, I think it just. It took a, a one year and made it into what we would have progressed over five years. So yeah. I, I think it's exactly what you said. People's habits changed. And I'm sure your market is similar there than it is here, that there's no inventory and there's bidding wars on everything and you can't, and there's, you know, you can't get properties. And you know, now what I've, I've seen, at least um, here, is that people, a lot of people have gone back to renting, but there's still such a surplus of buyers that now offers are getting accepted. But those renters are going to do the same thing they did in the past. They want short-term stays. They want to get away. Their habits have now changed. So uh, I love the short-term rental market, especially in areas that would be considered experience areas. Like La Jolla makes total sense, right? Like beach, uh, snow, uh, mountains, lakes, uh, anything like that. I think that if you have short-term rentals in those areas, you can really, really do very, very well for your money. It's a lot of work, but you can do very, very well with your money.
0: It is a lot more work for sure. And then I think for us, at least it makes sense when we run them ourselves, just because the fees that a lot of vacation rental companies are charging feel a little high. And then they're not pushing as hard on rates as we are because we're, we know it, you know, but, but it is, it's like running a hotel basically. (laughs) So.
2: And and what I like most about it is that all the data is just out there. Um, You know, I was just, I'm a sports person my whole life. I like statistics and I just like that. I can really go into an investment and, and really get the lay of the land and see exactly what's going on. You know, sites like AirDNA and other sites like that that give you all the statistics like, you know, what exactly these properties are going for per day and, and what the percentage of them are rented and, and um, what gross revenue on a property look like for a year. You know, nobody can lie about those. You can really go and see the stats. So it's, it, I can really make informed decisions on things like that. And I think that's why it's an easier place to put my money right now because I can really make an informed decision on what's going on today in the market and not what went on in the past because the world has changed right so like I know with that stuff I know what's going on today presently so I like that
0: so are you um buying everything are you raising money or buying with partners or is everything pretty much yours
2: um I've bought a lot on my own um the last couple of years and last year uh, I really bought a lot uh, mostly on my own for the bigger stuff, you know, for the I I do I do take capital partners on for the bigger stuff, and um, it's been a part of my history of how I raise money for, for that stuff. But for the short-term rental stuff, the single-family and and the, the the small-scale multi, I'm really mostly doing that stuff on my own. Um, and I have a team, and, and my job really is, and this is where the work comes in, right? My job is really to, to source the properties, finance the properties, um, and, and 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 then move and, and then move on to the next thing, and then somebody else is managing the bookings, and somebody else is managing the maintenance because. That's a lot. Like that stuff's a lot of work. And if I have to do that stuff, it's hard for me to really concentrate on buying the right stuff. So I do have a lot of help, which makes it a little bit easier for me, obviously, because that, that's, you know, it's like running a hotel it's, it, oh, it's sure. a lot, it's a lot of work. Yeah.
0: You're buying time really by paying other people to do it. So it's right. yeah. And I, I know that you're a family man too. So you have to make time for your family. And it's like, we've learned that same thing. We do what gives us the best ROI and then pay people to do the rest. So.
2: Yeah. I, I think people sometimes are uh, penny wise and dollar foolish with that. Right. Like you just said it, you hit it on the head, like you buy time that. that that stuff is worth me paying somebody to do it. So, and I, then I, cause then I can, my highest and best use is what I do, which is find and buy. My highest and best use wouldn't be managing the properties every single day. I wouldn't do a great job at it. So I just don't.
0: Yeah. It's tedious and it takes away from you being able to find deals and then also your other businesses. So I know we get asked this question a lot, but from your perspective, I mean, you, you, run a mortgage company you have the disruptors network with the podcast and the whole community and everything you're investing in deals yourself you're investing in deals with partners how are you making everything happen on a day-to-day basis running all these businesses
2: it's yeah it's hard
1: (laughs) 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 you're like what's the secret you're like there is none
2: (gasps) i'm a side and started to cry but no it's it's hard it's um i have a lot of help especially in the mortgage side now at this point um so we're in, uh, we're in eight States. I have about 48 offices on the mortgage side, um, wow. but I have, a I have a lot of help. And, uh, you know, my job, even with that is become really, um, brand development, marketing, uh, top-line operations and, and, you know, manage the business from that level. So I have a lot, a lot of help. We have about, me and my partner have about 250 employees on the mortgage side. So it's a big group. Um, but I do, you know, I, I have the right help. And, and just like you said, I, I, I pay for people to help me. So I think even with that, because of technology and because of zoom and because of everything being so virtual, that was life-changing for me. Um, it, it, you know, I didn't have to be in the car as much. I didn't have to be on planes as much to do that kind of stuff. I, I think the way the world has changed has allowed me to manage all my businesses better because I really do it from one place almost all the time. Um, you know, and even if I have to get in a plane or if I have to be at a house, like right now I'm at one of my Airbnb properties. I came down for the day because um, I was looking at another property down here, but um, even no matter where I am, I can do these calls all day. So it's really like, I, and I, and it's hard. For, I didn't say this immediately because people had a hard time during the pandemic, but, and I'm sure you guys can relate because financially, I'm sure it was a great year for you guys for being in this business, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me for my business the last year, because it changed things in a way that made it much more feasible for me to, to, to be everywhere at once.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, I think, um, it's not really our generation, but the older generations like you got to meet person, you got to do this, you got to do that, and um, I always tell Crystal like it's funny somebody uh, was doing an interview with Gary Vee, and they said if you're gonna go to a city and you're gonna start being a mortgage, you know, a loan officer, how would you build? He goes, well, let me tell you, what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't be going to coffees and networking at lunch. He goes, why? It's a big waste of time. He, he goes, how many people can you really meet within a week and a month? He goes. I would just be like joining Facebook groups and stuff Where I'm talking and standing in front of a hundred people, a thousand people. I'm going to have to be more impactful. So I mean, that was before the pandemic and here we are. And I think people realize like, oh, you're out of town. Should I go hire somebody else for my mortgage or this or that? You're like, I can do this anywhere. I have a team. And now people realize if I did your mortgage during COVID, I can do it now. It doesn't matter where I am in the yeah. world. And I think that's, I think the mental shift for not like our generation, we knew this, but we were like, when is everybody going to catch up and get on the same playing field that not everybody has to sit in an office to be like, okay, I'm going to use you. If you're not in an office and and you're traveling or doing this, I can't use you for a business or something, you know?
2: No, you, you, you so hit it on the head. And I, I think that it made us better at our jobs, not worse because, you know, when you would have to be at a networking event or out for the day or out for coffee with a realtor, you'd end the meeting, you'd be flustered because you'd have 50 emails and a hundred text messages and, and you wouldn't be able to get to what you had to do. So it's like, I, you know, I think that it's made us better at our jobs. And, it, you know, it made me focus on my scheduling and my calendar more uh, and got, get better at that. Cause that's something I was never that strong at, get really better at that because I could, you know, if you got to lunch with somebody and this is just for me, it could go two hours. If you have a zoom meeting with somebody, it's going to be 30 minutes. Like you're going to get to the point of business. You're going to get down to what you really have to do. And listen, I like seeing people in person. So don't get me wrong. But I think that for business purposes, this is a much more streamlined way to do things like it, it just more, much more efficient.
0: I love the efficiency for sure. Yeah, that's been, it's funny, because Kenny's more of the kind of like go to lunch, talk, build a relationship. I'm like, okay, let's get down to business. Like, what, what are we doing today? So I love a good zoom call. But
1: then when I'm there, I'm like, <laughs> wow, this is like sucking up time, like you said, you know, so you know, that's why I tell people locally here. We've kind of, before the pandemic, we are doing more events. And I was like, hey, instead of seeing all these people all the time, I can just throw three or four events. We put them on. Everybody's there. I say high five, shake hands. And then like, cool, I'll see you in three months. Like, but I'm going to go back and do the grind. I always tell people like, you'd rather me be in the office doing my thing than out networking this. Cause it's, I'm getting, I'm being more impactful for me, for you, for everything, right? Like.
2: Yeah. I, 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 and I think that's the model. I think you hit on the head. I'm the same. Like, I just wanted to, so I want to do events through the company, Disruptors Network a company that brings value, um, like real value every couple of months, once a quarter, or something like that, where we really brought value, every, see everybody in person, say hello, and then go back to work. You know, and, and and you know, even furthermore, like you said, you know, I have a family, I have little kids, my kids are seven and five, and I want to be home by 6 30, 7 o'clock every single night. I don't want and before the pandemic, I was out two, three nights a week, almost every single week. And like I think the thing I liked most about was that. I value my time a lot more now, probably because of that. And I'm in the office early. I'm in the office by 7.30, 8 o'clock at the latest every single day. So you can find me in the office, but at 6, 6.30, I'm going home. And I'll answer my phone if I have to, but I'm, I'm really going to go home. And I really want to be around around my family and, and doing that for the rest of the day because they're growing fast and that's happening too fast. And, and I feel like I'm going to miss all of it if I don't stop, you know?
1: Yeah, What's sure. the, um, a couple of things I was going to ask you about the vacation rentals. Because um, I think a lot of people are looking at this space, right? I know people, you know people on larger, small scale. Um, here, in, here in San Diego, unfortunately, we don't have the laws passed yet. Um, they're figuring it out. I think what's going to happen is is you're going to get a license. They're not gonna, you're not going to be able to get a bunch, but eventually have a license. And then I'm sure there'll be some wiggle room, how that works. But then you know places like Palm Springs, Palm Desert, which I'm sure you're aware of, they've already solidified yeah. it. So a lot of people I know they're like, I only want to invest in markets that already have like the laws solidified. There's no changing it. So where you're at is, is it like the law's done or is it kind of up in the air or where are you guys at?
2: You know, it's really, it's, it's so crazy because it's really still city by city and county by county and every area is different. And, you know, you found fa- I find some areas that are loopholes that don't have any laws yet. And they're not even aware that it's even going on and you're able to do it <laughs> pretty easily. And then you find other areas that are, like right now, I'm on, Jer- I'm on the Jersey Shore, which is a really a beach- They're beach towns. They're all beach towns. Um, and the town I'm in is a town called Seabright. And it's very, very small. Um, and they're, they're, they were Airbnb friendly. You have to get a permit, but they were Airbnb friendly. And, but it's a small town. So I think there's only 60 Airbnb rentals in the whole area, which, which is amazing to me. And then you look at areas like Nashville or um, you know, some of these other areas that are super popular. And there's 6,000 active rentals. And now they're really cracking down because they let it go too crazy. So I think it's it is, you know to find something that's in between where it can be reasonable. Like I don't see a town like this ever outlawing it because it, it can't get out of control because it's too small of a place, right? So, uh, but if you go to Orlando in Florida, um, so I'll give you an example. I have um, four properties now in a place called Ocala in Florida, which is like horse country. Which is like horse country. They just built like a two billion dollar equestrian center, and it's a lot of horse people down there. But I have houses by the like the historic downtown, so it's really really nice. But it was really un, like it, it's pretty undiscovered still to be honest with this point. There's not a lot of Airbnb rentals. There's not um, they don't have any laws, zero laws for it now. So that, it's kind of a wait and see thing for me. But because I'm doing so well on it, I just have to make sure my exit strategy works just in case that goes that route. Like and, and and that town where I bought for the price points I bought and the single families are anywhere between three and four hundred thousand, so it's a low entry point. Wow. Um, you know if 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 they come in tomorrow and say hey we're going to, we're going we're to stop this gonna restrict it. I can sell and make a profit. And that would be my exit strategy because people aren't just buying there f- for Airbnb. They're buying for other reasons. Right. So it's got, so I think as long as you have the right exit strategy in those towns, you can, you can make it work, but it just, it, it's really place to place here at, at this point. You know,
0: I agree. I think that's, that's probably one of the bigger challenges with identifying vacation rental properties is doing the research on what those areas allow and what the laws are and making sure that you're compliant and whatever, because I think there were like properties in LA, for example, when they passed the vacation rental law a few years ago, some people were not okay. You know, they had these vacation yeah. rentals and you're like, well oh, they oh. came
1: in and just went whack and then yeah, it just, but it's honestly
0: over. now if you held on to the property, you're like, well, the real estate market's doing pretty well. So I can probably just sell it, make a profit and go do something else, you know? Yeah.
2: Yes. And, you know, I think that, um, and when did you guys get into mortgages? How long are you in the, are you in the, were you in 2008? 17 or? years.
0: Yeah. 2003.
2: All my pains. We, we could probably commiserate for five oh, hours, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but this market, um, I believe is completely different from that market. It's not even close to being the same. And I think if there is some sort of correction, um, it'll never be that. And even if you bought now, I don't think even if you overpaid, Long-term, I think you'll be fine because it's not, so, it's not so inflated that it'll be a problem. That's my view from what I've seen. I don't think, well, it's nothing like that, right? And, and the other thing I'm seeing is like BlackRock, which is probably the biggest fund in the whole entire world. They bought a $6 billion pool, I think, last month of single-family rental homes, right? So, you know, they're buying at the top of the market, so they have to know something. Like, you know, I, you know, I don't know exactly what they know, but I think that I'm on-
0: And they're driving the market up, too. They're driving the market well, up. Well, yeah.
1: Well, let's look at this. The lar- I, I forget the company you might know, the largest, you know, fund that has the largest holdings of single family residents. It's not BlackRock, it's somebody else. I can't think of what they are. They uh, th- th- to answer your question is that's what I always tell people when I always say it's watch people. That's why watch people do not what they say. They're doing things so they know the data. So you take the largest homeholder to answer your question. They did a rent rent increase this year, I believe. 5.4% for existing tenants across the board. They have like, they have more. They have 50, some crazy amount of homes. Then they said the new leases they're getting are 15% higher. So do that over, because what they know what, what they know is coming and you and I know is, it's never been cheaper to buy a home because like I tell people, like if you, you're a mortgage guy, if you take, where I was doing a house, if you took a house for this and put 20% down at today's rates and rates go up to 3.5 and the same thing, the houses really have to come far down if you look from like an you know
0: like interest a, savings. from
1: interest savings for the life of the loan. And that's when I realized I was like, okay, I looked at it and I'm like, the houses really have to correct. So like, I'm gonna wait. And then I hear guys like, you know, Matt at UWM, you know he is, Matt that owns UWM. He's like, no, it's actually gonna cost you more. People are like, no, and I'm like, when I did the math, I'm like, actually over time, it's you're not really saving. So these, but also what's happening is people are getting pushed out of the market because it's expensive, and renters are coming in, and all these guys know that. We sold our property management company to a company called Mind M Y N D, and they um, they actually prior to us, they started and raised money and bought eighteen thousand homes and sold to Starwood. So we were like, so these guys like we're gonna take on the. Um, the space, you know, the, what, what is it? The property space. And we're like, what? So what they ended up doing is they've got the footprint, they got the space, they built their own technology. But then there's an article that came out that said they just got a partner on Wall Street to raise $5 billion and they're going to buy 20,000 homes. And so I was funny because we were emailing back with the CEO and, and I was like, you know, joking, but there's a reason why these guys are doing all this. And I think long-term is rents are going to go up because income is going to go up because everything else is going up and you can just see it.
2: You're hundred percent right. And and again, go, even if you want to go back to 2008 and if somebody really wants to harp on looking at that, if you had the the staying power to stay in real estate at that point, rents didn't go down, rents still went up. The world was crumbling and rents still went up. So rents are always going to go up. Rent's never going down. Rent's always going to rise. So if you have the ability to stay in real estate, even if there is some sort of market correction, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay long-term. So like, Everything you're saying makes so much sense, especially about the rent prices, because they're going up even further than the housing prices are going, where people aren't paying attention.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the hardest part is just finding the deal right now, like you said. Like there's just multiple offers on everything; everything's getting bid up. I mean, it's hard to even rent a place right now, uh, at least in San Diego. Very competitive.
2: You're right. I think everywhere, Todd. I mean, so now I'm getting ready. Um, so now we're in August, and and, and as I'm getting ready now for, on the East Coast, at least for the beach towns just start to slow down. And this is what I did last year as well. Like, so now because it'll start to get cold, like people will start to empty out from here in September and October and the properties that are on the market now that we either priced high or people didn't move. Well, that's where I'll have opportunities. So I really like kind of geared myself up over the next couple of months to be looking in those sort of towns, um, in New York, uh, in New Jersey, in North Carolina and South Carolina, um, in Florida and like in beach towns or something like that because as the weather starts to change people those properties will either sit well you'll be able to get some kind of deal with them even last year I was able to do that so I'm hoping that the trend continues
1: so talk to us a little about your um your podcast and your kind of other business that you have with the content you put out and what your what your guys are doing with that
2: yeah sure so um The podcast is something new we do. Disruptors Network is something I started, just like you said. I started as a conference a few years ago that I was doing to try to – I I had built a lot of business through social, um, and I was trying to educate people on how I did that. So the first thing I did was I had this big conference. I called it The Real Estate Disruptor, and I brought in like all these uh, high-level marketers outside of real estate to come in and speak to my real estate community in New York and New Jersey. Um, And then from that, after seeing that, I was like, wow, there is really – a community here that I, that we can kind of build with, right? So the whole idea was, if I can educate them on what I'm doing and give them free resources from what I'm doing, then I should be able to build business with them and then build people up, build people up that I can then work with later on. So that was the idea of it. Um, during COVID, we kind of got shut down and all the events we were having got shut down, and then it went virtual, right? So then I had I started having virtual meetings, which is really when it became disruptors network. Um, and my virtual meeting just really became about. Uh, how to educate people on what I knew from the past, what was going on in the present and what I thought was going to happen next. Cause nobody really knew anything. And those grew and grew and grew. And then um, I decided we, I was doing a TV show that you guys have probably either been asked to do or seen. I was doing American dream in New Jersey. Um, and it's kind of, yeah, yeah. Craig Sewing,
0: Yeah. Craig Sewing,
2: yeah. Correct. But, yeah.
0: Um,
2: so I did that. Like that was the year before COVID I hosted in New Jersey. And I was just like, this is great, but I something I think I could do it on my own, and I think I can I can control the content if I do it on my own. So we launched a TV show last year, and we streamed on Roku and uh, YouTube and Amazon and Apple. And we did all the streaming services. Um, we did eight episodes, and it was really focused on people who were similar to me with like entrepreneurs backgrounds who didn't really come from a lot, who kind of grew businesses on their own, and this is their story. And I called in every favor I ever had, and I got some decent guests. And now we um, just signed for the second season. To do it sure. again, and and this year we're gonna we're gonna be on Directv, um, uh, same Roku, Amazon, and we're gonna be on a bunch of different cable networks. It just depends on region which cable network we're gonna be on. But so we signed a bigger deal for this year. So that's kind of I have to start filming in a month, which is something I'm just adding onto on my task list. But um, but it should be fun. I'm actually gonna be out by you guys at some point. I think in October.
0: Cool. Yeah, we should.
1: Uh, yeah, if you're here, let yeah. us know. Yeah, congrats on that. That's, that's awesome. Awesome. What are you? What's your, um, when you have these events and you're meeting with people, what's your kind of common questions you're getting, or what do you feel like you're helping people the most with these
2: days? That's, that's, that's a really good question. So I think originally it was so, like, I, I really started to go social, social media heavy in probably um, 15 and 16. Um, so I think when I first started doing them, that was the questions, right? Because people did, that as many people were doing it, and that, the questions were really based around that. Now that that's gotten a lot more common and everybody's doing it, and it's not, I'm not so unique anymore. Um, I think it's gotten more around how I'm buying real estate um, and how I'm doing that and how I'm building that. I, I think the questions, because you know how mortgages are, uh, you, could, you, I'm sure you can understand this. You know, before the last couple of years, nobody cared about it for like the last ten years, and now we've become popular again. But nobody really, you know, with a mortgage, people walk into the room. Just mortgage guys. Nobody wanted to. he was like, "All right, it's just another." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> real
0: real yeah. estate's gotten really sexy because of the Grant Cardones yeah, and the, yeah. you know all those guys. Yeah.
2: So you know, I I, I kind of tended to stay away from that because it didn't really draw people to me. So I really focused on what I was doing in real estate. Um, but I think just educating people on how to buy, how to buy the right way, and how to kind of build something long term because I really lost everything once and had to start over again. So I, I've seen every aspect of it at this point. I, I think that's what I get asked about most.
1: How do you, so, I mean, obviously, you know, everybody's like, is this, you know, that's the thing. Is it going to crash? What's going to happen? This and that. Um, I always remind people, I said, you know, you don't really know, but, you know, if you look at the last cycle, there was, what, over 3.7 million homes on the market nationwide before the crash. Now there's, what, you know, maybe one and a half, 1.2 million. We're, we're, there's so much less inventory. Um but how do you, when you had that, you know, you went through that whole correction, which probably gave you like a doubles master's. You don't even, you just go through one of those. You don't even need college, right? That's what I tell people. Yeah. You're going to learn more about yourself and everything. What do you, how do you approach things differently? Obviously we know things are high, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. I think things would be more triggered by interest rates. That's just my opinion based on, you know, what I'm seeing the other guys say, but how are you approaching things? So you're like, I feel like more people are definitely gun shy when they lose things or went through that. Cause you're not going full throttle. You're still like, I'm going, but I got to be cautious here. Yeah.
2: yeah. I think two things I asked myself now and the two questions I wasn't paying attention to the first time around were um, what's my exit strategy. Um, you know, if, if the world comes to an, end, like what uh, each property, what exactly is my exit strategy and what do I stand to lose if, if I go through that? And secondly, can I hold this property long-term if there is no exit strategy? And I think the, those two things, do I have the funds to hold these properties long-term? And those are the, before 2007, 2006 when all that stuff was going on. What, my biggest strategy at that point was mostly, I was doing a lot of stuff in Florida, which was one of the hottest-hit states, and I was buying contracts at that time for stuff that was pre-construction or uh, early-on construction and flipping the contract. And, and that stuff, if you remember, was very popular at the time where I was buying stuff pre-construction, I was selling it before- it even hit the mark, and I was making my small profits. But what I was doing that was very, very stupid and where I got caught was um, I was 100% in all the time. Like I would take profit from one thing. It would go 100% back into something else. There was no like, let me put something to the side and do this. I was like, no, I got uh, 50,000 out of this, 100,000 out of this. I'm putting it all back into something else. And then when it ended and the, the, the bottom dropped that and all those pre-constructions couldn't even be finished being built, I lost everything I had in those contracts. So there was no exit strategy if, if something like that happened. There really, I, if I couldn't sell the contract, there was no exit strategy. So I think staying away from things like that, obviously, or and there's not a lot like that this day, these days. But uh, having something that I know I can I can keep long term and that I have an exit strategy. I mean, two of the properties that I had then I still have, believe it or not, but they were literally wow. worth like 30, 40 cents on the dollar at at the you know within a, a twelve months of me getting the contract. So. That's where I learned the hot, the real hard lessons. Um, but at the, at the same time, there's a good lesson in it. I w- the one two of them I was able to keep um, long term. The values came back, right? So I wouldn't call them good investments, but I didn't lose money at this point. At least I was, I, I've been able to gain money.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah.
2: yeah.
0: I that that's why you know. So we're kind of big in multifamily, and what I was looking at during the re- the recession was. I kind of saw even when things were still down that apartments were up. Like they were up even in the recession. They were past boom prices, at least in San Diego. I know certain areas like Arizona and some of those like never really fully recovered, but
1: well, like Ralph said too, the first the first thing that any collecting any multifamily, the first notice of some recovery was rents went up before yes, anything. Yes. Everybody's like, wait a minute, how are rents are going up and all of a sudden they're like, This is crazy, right? I mean
0: Yeah, but what I notice is you're because I think you know, apartments or five-plus units is so driven by cash flow. So if you can increase the cash flow, you're already increasing the value. It's just about the safest investment that anybody can make. Now, obviously, with COVID and rent moratoriums and eviction moratoriums and all this craziness, you know, it's become definitely more challenging. But I think once you get past all this stuff, multifamily is still just the safest asset class you can be in. So I tell people who are really risk-averse, like, apartments are perfect for you, you know? I mean, really.
2: yeah, I, I you're 100 percent right. I I love I that's that, to answer the question we point to. Multifamilies are definitely part of my strategy over the next three years for sure, um, because I think that there's going to be a lot of value there, and that stuff will all come back when all these rental moratoriums end, especially here, because um, New York got destroyed with that stuff. You can't you I mean you can't get people out in New York to begin with, so never mind now. You, so that yeah. stuff really got hurt. When that stuff starts to clear up, I think that I love that strategy, and I agree with you. When people ask me how to enter, even on the small scale multifamily, I always point them there first. I was like, "You want something that's really secure that that you probably won't lose your money in ever? That's what. That's the route to go. Like that's the most. That's the safest way to go. Always.
1: It's not sexy, right? We always say multifamily's not sexy. It's not the vacation rental or flipping the house or this. It's kind of boring, but you know. It lo- it really works though. Long term, you can really crush it. You know,
2: I I agree. I think it's a, you're right. It's not sexy, but it's it's the most effective way to do it. Yeah,
1: yeah. and if you kind of learn the tax strategy around it too, and how that works, you can really uh, it becomes a little bit more sexier, I think, too. And you can utilize
2: that and buy the bigger deals.
0: Now, question, because I you mentioned you have sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I was going to say like tax segregation was something I, I learned about later on, but like that stuff that that, that you really can benefit for, especially if you have large scale multifamily.
0: oh Oh, it's huge like we i don't know why we didn't do it sooner we only started it maybe about two years ago but uh, like we haven't paid taxes yeah we haven't paid taxes and i got all my money back going back five years you know so that i paid in taxes
1: yeah it's it's like like that's what i tell people it's always go back to is just watch what people do it's like why do rich people buy real estate i'm like because they do a cost seg and they wipe their income and they do it again and they're sitting here getting rich like I don't understand why they keep buying this. I'm like, they just go to their CPA. What's the best thing for tax strategy? Just buy this and do this. Okay, cool, let's do it. And it's a great generational passer for wealth too, right? It's like, who doesn't want to inherit a a cash-flowing business?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's been a best-kept secret. It's really funny though because we have a lot of clients and friends who kind of think it's like a hokey, scammy thing to do cost segregation. And I think it's because it sounds so weird and foreign and why can't my CPA just do that? And I'm like... Hey, if I can pay somebody seven, eight, ten grand to save me eight hundred thousand dollars, six hundred thousand dollars, hey, yeah. that's a no brainer. I mean,
1: yeah, it's like
0: no problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna ask you though. I know y- you mentioned that you have two kids. We do too. Um, and it's always a, a discussion about how we're gonna teach our kids about money and you know how the world works and financial freedom and all that good stuff without spoiling them too much, right? Um, How do you have your kids involved at all in your business, your five and your seven year old or?
2: Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I do, I do like, I try to take my son's the older one. So I try to take them as as much as I can to everything and try to explain to them that this isn't normal because, uh, you know, it's something I'm struggling with to be totally honest with you, because same thing. I don't want them to be spoiled. I don't want them to be entitled. I don't want to think it's them to think it's normal that we have to fly somewhere to go buy properties you know, except if they understand that as a business, like it's not, these aren't for leisure, these are, this is how I make money, right? So I think I'm trying to show him that that's the the route and that not, because I didn't grow, I, I grew up in a multifamily home that, um that we have, you know, four, four different families from my family in, right? Like, so like, I didn't grow up with a lot. It was different. Um, So I just, and I think that's part of what made me who I am. And, and part of what makes me understand where I'm always striving to be better, even if after I got to a certain level. So I want them to have that. But yeah, I try to, I try to bring them in where I explain to them what we're doing here and how I got this and what I'm doing with it. Um, Because I I think they need to understand that now so they don't get the wrong ideas.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, We try to take our kids. They're so young, but I think as they get older, I I, I do think it's cool though. Like for me, it's like, you know, parents talk about, I feel guilty because I work so much with my kids. And yes, there's a little bit of that, but I also really love that our kids get to see us working and that, you know, we have that drive and ambition and we want to do something with our lives. We want to do something for them. So, um, bringing them into it. And I worked with my parents since I was like, you know, 12, I was working in the office. So I kind of got to learn that. And I'm like, dang, we got to do this for our kids. Cause we came from a lot less too, both of us. And it's like, you don't want your kids to think this is, Oh, this is life going on vacations and, you know, owning all these properties and doing this stuff. It's like, you know, understand the way money flows. We actually bought that cash flow game from Robert Kiyosaki. So when they're old enough, you know, you can pay the, play the cash flow game.
2: <laughs> I, go, I go to this guy for acupuncture every single week, um, and he's great. And he, he opened up stock accounts for his kids. I think they're seven and nine. And he gave them like $500 in each, and he started to explain it to them. And like, I think it was brilliant. And they've really gotten into it. So like, I, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to see if they can take to it at all. But like, I, I thought it was really smart. And he said, I was like, how is it going? He's like, well, my daughter is sitting. Doesn't put the whole amount of money in ever. She only puts a little in at a time. And my son just is like, he's like gambles, like he's like so. It's like he's seeing their personalities. But I think teaching this stuff at a good early age is good. My I've always brought them everywhere. I mean, they come to open houses with me. They come to the office with me. They come. They're always in the middle of everything I'm doing because I really want them to see like I'm work. This is work, but I don't. I want to be around you too. You know. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, they're not learning it in school, so that's the biggest concern is, like, you don't learn this stuff in school, so we're going to have to teach you about it somehow. For sure.
1: <laughs> How's, um, I know we were talking before, um, is the uh, the market out there where you guys are in, I mean, I feel like it's everywhere, but are you guys, um? I know you're saying you're buying, but do you just think, like... Do you see this thing kind of just keep going the way it's going or what's your, what do you kind of, what's your kind of take or what's your, what's your gut feeling on the market in the next two? three I
2: honestly think that you're going to see prices level out a little bit. I think that you'll see them stay kind of around where they are right now. The reason I feel like that is like I was saying before, I feel like that some people quit. They were like, all right, I'm done with this bidding war stuff. I'm going to go rent or I'm going to go leave it. I'm going to, I'll come back later. And what I'm seeing is now, now the higher bidders, their offers are getting accepted. Um, so I think that some people are still bidding too high and now their offers are getting accepted. But slowly but surely, I think it's going to le- it's 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 starting to level out because I'm sure you're seeing the same thing, especially on the mortgage side. We're starting to have more and more appraisal issues um, where appraisals are coming in low. And, you know, that's going to correct the market a little bit, too. The house really isn't worth that much. And sellers won't have as many options. So they'll have to negotiate. They won't just be like, well, just pay for it or, or, or I'll give it to the next person. So I honestly think you'll see prices level out around here for a little while. Um, I don't see them going down. I don't see them going up a lot more. I think they'll, they will level out over the next like 12 to 24 months.
0: We're seeing in some, some price points too that the properties are starting to sit a little longer now too. Yeah. It's not as crazy of a bidding war because I think everybody's doing this like, well, it's worth this, but let's just put it out up here because the market's just crazy. And those properties are sitting <laughs> yeah. and they're having to come down yeah. until they get realistic again, you know? Uh, so, we're seeing it already.
2: Greedy sellers got greedy a little bit with that. I understandably like, let's just throw it out there and see what happens. They didn't even want it to sell, but you're right. Those houses are um, you're starting to see price reductions again, which you didn't see at all for like six months. And now we're starting to see price reductions again. So, I think that you will see it level out. I think that it's going to normalize a little bit. It, it was crazy, but I think it'll get back to normal.
0: Well, it's crazy because I would actually look at properties and I would see that it was, let's say, a house was listed for $2 million and then a week later they they took it down and relisted it for 2.2. 2. And I'm like, okay, well, you got too many offers <laughs> then, ridiculous. you know,
2: sorry, ridiculous. Just- I, and even as far as that, as far as people buying at that point, you know, throughout this whole entire thing, I really stuck to my guns where, um, I wasn't going to waive my appraisal. I wasn't going to waive my inspection. Um, I, I, you know, in some cases I was like, I'm going to do it for information purposes only, but it still gave me the option to back out of the deal. Like, you know, I'm not going to ask you to change anything. I'm going to look at it. I think that I never, ever let that part of it go. Um, You know, I had a deal. I have deals like this happen all the time, but I had a deal in Florida last week or the week before where um, I made a really good offer. I I, I was paying list. I was not going, you know, it was it wasn't I wasn't getting a deal Um, with a good down payment. And somebody came in and offered cash and um, they were waiving appraisal and inspection. I said, I'm going to still go by the school if I'm going to offer you cash and I want to get a deal. Like I'm not offering you all cash, and then I'm going to pay regular price. Like If I'm going to get a discount, I'll offer cash, and I'm not waiving my appraisal or inspection. But sure enough, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of this, most of the cash offers are not real cash offers. They went to inspection. They didn't like the inspection. They wanted to back out of the deal and or reduce the price. And then they came back to me as the backup offer. Um, so I ended up getting the property. But you know, I think a lot of the, even the people that are going out there, oh, I'll buy it all cash. Th- those cash offers aren't even real. So I just I think stick to your strategy when you're buying and it, it, you will get the house as you're supposed to get.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, and I think the average person doesn't realize the person out there putting all cash offers in, they could be putting 50 cash offers a month in on different properties and just seeing who's going to take, who's going to be the seller that's going to let me whittle down and go, ah, oh, just close it. I'm, you know, they're looking for the person that's just going to give in and just go.
2: You're right. And I've had that happen before where, I made offers, it's happened five or six times. People came with cash offers, something went wrong. And, it, and, you're, and you're probably right. The reason is, is they're probably putting in multiple cash offers all over the place. And a lot of them aren't even properties they want. They're just trying to see what they can get. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: you're throwing up bait in the water, you're going to get a bite, right? Like
0: And like you said, nobody paying all cash, I, anybody paying all cash is looking for a deal. They're not looking to pay market price.
2: That that's a point. You know, that was always the point. At least how I grew up, it was like if you if you're giving a cash offer, it's because I'm getting a deal, not because I'm giving you a deal and then giving you cash. Like it, at some point, I have to get something on the buyer side, so I try to stay away from that stuff, or just say no, or just back away, or be patient with it. I don't need anything that bad at this point, so I just I just stay away.
0: There has been more cash buyers, I feel, in this market too than ever. It's kind of like, doesn't even really matter all cash anymore. People are like, whatever, you know, because like you said, they don't want to sell for a deal. So they're like, I'll take the risk of financing and appraisals for a higher price.
2: And, and you know what, even you guys heard mortgages. The mortgage pre-approvals have gotten better where you can go in with, with TBD commitments at this point now. And and that's just as good as cash in most situations. So, you know, yep. sellers drawing away from offers that have financing on. It just means that I feel like they're uneducated on the process. Not, not that it's, it's the better offer all the time.
1: Agreed. How are you um, speaking of mortgage? How do you feel about the mortgage industry, the market right now? I mean, you've been in a while. Uh, how do you, what's your kind of take on the, your pulse on the, like just our, our industry?
2: Yeah. I, you know, I think it's gotten to be the popular thing again. Like it was like, it feels like the same as it was before. And you're seeing more and more um, either real estate agents or agencies going, coming in to say, Oh, we we have a mortgage portion of our business. Now we're going to, and I the quick and announced yesterday and guaranteed yeah. rate did it. And, um, you know everybody's coming into the, everybody's coming into the real estate space or, or combining. and I think part of that is because you could still make money in the mortgage business. You know, our business didn't change as much, whereas real estate has really gone the way of the discount broker. Um, and they and and unfortunately, um, it's become very hard to make money unless you're an agent in in, in real estate because they've made it these high payout uh, fee models and, I when to do, to really run a successful business with, with that kind of real estate model, you have to have two to 300 agents. And then who, then how do you even do that? Who wants to manage that many agents? So I think that because real estate um, went away that I don't think was beneficial for them. And I don't know if it'll stay that way or not. Um, I think that more people are, are, are trending towards mortgage at this point.
1: Yeah, I, agree. I, I, I can, I can see that. I was going to ask you too, on like leadership. Um, I know your shirt says that, but just because, you came out of the recession. Now you're here, you got multiple things going on. What's probably one or two or three of the biggest takeaways or advice you can give anybody just on scaling, building businesses and keeping a balance of family and all these businesses. But what's been your, you know, if there is a secret sauce or how you, you know, maintain some type of level head or whatever, how is, how do you, how, what have you figured out that works for you?
2: You know, I think that, I think what i I like to tell people most of all is there's nothing special about me. I'm not the most dynamic salesperson. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm not any of that. I'm just very, very consistent um, to nauseam. Like I I have consistent habits every single day and the stuff that I'm not good at being consistent at, I have either people to hold me accountable or systems to hold me accountable to. Um, You know, so every single thing, like, you know, for instance, like I'm not great at keeping my diet. Um, So I keep a nutritionist all year round and I have to send them check in once a week because I know that I'm not great about that. Um, I have a leadership meeting once a week where I, not only do I have to hold myself accountable, but I have to, it it holds, it holds everybody accountable, but it holds me accountable because I have to write the leadership meeting every single week. I have to come up with something to talk to them about that I'm working on right now. So I think I just find ways to hold myself accountable, but I'm just consistent. Um, it's on, I, I try to be as consistent as I count on every single thing I do. And I, I, I feel like over, over the long haul, that's what really works for me. Um, is, is to be consistent and to just keep, you know, when, when the pandemic first happened, and I'm sure you guys felt this, month one and month two felt a lot like 2007, 2008. Like, like the mortgage was drying up and, and I was looking and everybody had to go home from the office. And the, the day before everybody left my office, I got in front of everybody and I said, look, um, this is what we're gonna do. We're just not gonna freeze, right? I was like, when 2008 happened, I froze. I didn't know what to do. So I just stopped doing everything. I just stood still until I feel like it will clear it up, and I said, "What we're not going to do here is we're gonna, we're not going to freeze. We're going to work every single day on something. We're just going to keep moving forward, and eventually, the, the next plan will will reveal itself. and And thankfully for us, the market turned the right way, and it didn't go that way. But you know, I think that's what I've learned from my past more than anything is that just be consistent, keep moving forward, don't stop moving forward, because at that point, you 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 really putting yourself at a disadvantage.
0: You're right. I mean, I think so many people, when the pandemic hit, just froze and didn't do anything. And Kenny and I had that conversation too. It was like, "No, this is the time to keep going and to go hard because all those people sitting around are going to be so far behind when things kind of come back up and we're seeing that so much now." I mean, you can't get people to do anything for you these days. It's hard to get work. Uh, nobody yeah. nobody wants to work. They're getting what what your client said or one of our clients said Biden bucks now, <laughs> you know. They're just used to those Biden bucks. <laughs> you know, it's like, why work? Yeah. So I,
2: I think even, and I think you guys will appreciate this because you're in the business almost as long as I am. Um, you know, I think the mentality has changed that the people that are coming in and, I, you know, I, I think that social media has warped that a little bit where the, the, everybody's looking at the, at the end result of people and thinking that you get there quickly. And um, I don't know where I heard this, but I, I use it all the time now, so I wish I could remember. You know, the, the five-year club, the 10-year club, the 20-year club, 30, 40-year club and any business you're in gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But once you get into those clubs, you get the people at real substance, like talking to you guys who are in the business, you know, as long as I am at this point, it's like there's real substance in this group of people. And we can really have a conversation where we're on the same level. I, you know, I think the goal for, for the younger people coming up is to get into those groups. That's where the real money is. That's where the real success is. That's where the real freedom of life is, is in those groups. But I think that everybody's looking at um, – Th- the end result and thinking you get there quick and it doesn't, it's not going to happen overnight. Like this stuff takes a long time to get to, I don't care what happens. I think it, it takes a long time to build your career the right way.
1: I was going to ask you a side note. Um, just curiosity about your mortgage business. Are you guys, I know you said you're you're doing more of the marketing, the branding and all that, which is awesome because that's really what I've been focusing on a lot is we've re- pretty much are, we've done a couple billion dollars of loans. you understand what that is for us, but we've, done it 95% off referrals. And so when 18, we never did any marketing. If we did marketing, you would laugh because it was a joke of marketing. Right. And so 18 came, I ended up in Gary V's office. I did the 14. He's like, what are you doing here? I was like, honestly, like, I need to do some marketing. He's like, well, you know, go back home and tell everybody, you know, about real estate. I go, what? He's like, just go fucking do it. I'm like, okay. Like whatever that means. Like, and so I was going to ask you is my focus is I'm seeing our, the industry we're in, is it's You're seeing, like I said, you know, an LO making a million dollars, you know, 10, five years ago. It's like, whoa, but now you're seeing these LOs um, that are massive brands that are consumer direct. It's like LOs are making big bucks now. They're like superstars, right? And you know what I'm talking about. And so I'm focusing on the brand and the consumer direct. So I was just curious, like you mentioned that. What are you guys really hyper-focused on as far as your business of building, bringing in business?
2: Yeah, so I, I kind of got lucky in this situation um, in, in some ways because my business partner, who I've, I've known in the business forever, um, we, came, we separated when the, pan- when, when the uh, 2008 happened, really. We, we, our company closed. We went our separate ways, pretty much. We came back together three years ago, and he was heavily, heavily consumer direct-focused, and I was really more referral relationship-focused Oh, and everything I was doing. So when we came together, it was, it was literally like a perfect marriage. So last year, um, we did a lot more consumer direct stuff because of refinances you know, you really wanted to get to the refinances and because the rates were low, we went heavy towards the consumer direct stuff. Um, now, because we're, we're more purchase focused again, I think we're like 70, 70, 30 purchase to refi again. So it's back to what normally what we used to be. Um, I'm really focused on growing relationships more than anything at this point now. Um, and with that, like, you know, I'm always trying to think of how do I really give somebody value? Like, how am I going to give a referral partner value and how have been given people value? And I think even that changed last year because value last year for the realtors was just like, close my, can you close my deal? Because I can't get yes. anybody to underwrite. Yeah, yeah. So um, now that that's changing again, it's going back to things it's like, well, how do I give them value? And I think that's something I'm always trying to think of and innovate and push the envelope on. And some of it is the conferences and um, some of it is education. Uh, some of it is, is lead based. Although I think that's getting harder and harder these days to get people quality leads. So um I try to go, whoever, and then, you know what the stuff I, I started going after recently again that I think is really, really effective is, at least here, and I don't know how it is in California, we started going after a lot of the union businesses again, um, and, and, and that stuff like the affinity relationships, and I think more than ever, because those, those people went virtual as well, right? All these, these companies went virtual, they need to help virtually more than ever, so I started going off to a lot of the affinity relationships again, and that's been really, really successful for us.
1: Cool. Awesome. Good for you guys um before we last ask our final we always ask really the same question Ralph where can people find you learn more about you it's I mean, you guys got a lot of awesome things going on and you know once again congrats on all your success all you guys are doing it's awesome it's, I just love the story from just because you know somebody you know went through the bad times there's the good times and I think you're just kind of like us because we got kind of crushed too is you just it's scarred you never forget but it makes you so much smarter moving forward right
2: yeah it definitely made me better i mean the best place to get me is instagram probably which is debug d-i-b-u-g um my website is ralphdbognaro.com i answer on both um if you message me i'll answer on either and, and those are probably the two best places to get me still um yeah you know, i'm starting to embrace the tiktok world because i feel like i have no choice but uh, um i still <laughs> you better to get me it, it, it feels like the, you know that app has become um if you read all the reports it's 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 got much more watch time than instagram at this time at this point so it's uh I'm, yeah, i think it yeah. depends
0: on like we talk to younger people and they're like i learned so much from tiktok like i love tiktok because you can learn things in like 60 seconds you know um so yeah yeah
1: yeah and a lot of marketers that i know that i've talked to they're like i grew what i what i grew in instagram facebook or youtube and this song I literally, it took me five years. I've done it five months, one year in TikTok. So they said, TikTok with the algorithm, you can really grow and then push everybody to your other channels. So it's, there's nothing, they said, nobody's like, nothing grows faster in TikTok. So they're doing it to push people to the website, to the Instagram, Facebook, to your other stuff.
2: I, I interviewed, um, Chris Gronkowski on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he's, a uh, Robert Gronkowski's brother, but he had, he was a professional football player and he has a, uh, he has a brand called Ice Shaker. It's like a, it's a bottle that stays cold no matter what, essentially, and, and that's his product. And he, was on, he went on Shark Tank with it, and it was like one of the highest-rated Shark Tank shows of all time because he brought his whole family on. Long story short is, the first, the, the, when his Shark Tank episode aired, um, he got Mark Cuban to, to buy and Alex Rodriguez they bought in. Um, when it aired, he got 30,000 hits to his website that day. So it was the biggest single hit to his website every single day. He's become very big on TikTok through answering questions. He did some promotions on t- on some TikTok the week before I spoke to him, and that day he got thirty thousand hits to his website from TikTok. So it just shows you, like, from national TV on Shark Tank to TikTok, he got the same amount of views. And when he said that, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, it really has that kind of power. So you know, again, I I've always believe social branding is-, is-, is something a way everybody should go, but now even more than ever.
1: Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I, you just hit it on the head. I think it's. It's not, sometimes you don't want to do the thing, but you got to do the thing. You know,
2: it's like- Yeah, yeah, you have to do it. Yeah, unfortunately we have to do it. And then,
1: um, so our last question, everybody is, what is your definition of generational wealth?
2: That's a good question. So I think, I think generational wealth for me is being able to live the life that you really want to live. Um, and now I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about living a life you want to live um, and the freedom to do what you want to, do, you, you really want to do every single day. But at the same time, bringing the people around you with you, right? Like bringing every, not bringing, just bringing yourself up, bringing everybody up, and then include your family and your circle and your network. And I think that really is is what generational wealth looks like for me. That's
1: awesome. I like that answer. Well, Ralph, thanks for the time. This has been fun. I'm sure we could talk for many, many hours, but, uh, I, I, I didn't, I, I like that we're in the mortgage and the space it's, we can relate. So. We feel your pain and we feel, you know, we, we know the highs and lows. So
2: <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me. It was, it, like I said, I agree. We could probably talk for four hours and I, we didn't even go into what our pain was from, from back then, but I'm sure we could talk forever, but this, exactly. I think your show is great. I listened to a bunch of podcasts today and, and Ken, I love your website, by the way. Um, I think, okay. I think, you, I think you, I think your website is great um, for your, your, for your mortgage stuff. I checked yeah. it out today. I think, I, I think you're doing, you guys are doing a really great job.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you. If you're out here and you're in San Diego, let us know. Hit us up.
2: We'd love to meet up. I definitely will.
1: Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Ralph. All right, Ralph. Thanks.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.